Welcome to the Movement PT Coffee Cast, where we sit down and talk about physical therapy, health, and whatever else comes to mind during our coffee-infused conversations. guys welcome back to the movement pt coffee cast my name's dalton and with me as always is my beautifully bearded friend william william how are we doing today doing really good man can't complain how about you i'm not bad i'm not bad you know it's 8 p.m and we're drinking coffee again so we're back we're back (laughs) at it you know it's like same thing different day i'm super happy because not only are you drinking coffee but you also have the coffee hat on and the minion mug (laughs) So we're back at it again today, guys. With a, we have a quad cast today. We have two guests on our show. We have a physiotherapy student, Taylor, and we have a physiotherapist, Teddy, um, on the podcast with us today. What's going on, guys? I've, I've always wanted to be a physiotherapist. I feel like that sounds so much more professional than physical therapist. <laughs> That's a Canadian thing, maybe. I don't know. Is it? it? Definitely, it's definitely something I aspire to be. <laughs> definitely sounds cooler. Oh. <laughs> I agree. Sometimes I flip flop. I actually, I think in our bio we have physical therapy students, but I don't know. It is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's just kick it off a little bit by giving a little intro. Um, you know, if our listeners don't know who you are, so Taylor, you want to start off and just let everyone know who you are, what school you go to. Yeah, so I'm about to be a second year student at George Fox University, which is just outside of Portland, Oregon. Um, And before PT school, I took about four years after undergrad where I was working as an aide in a lot of different clinics. Um, I also became a personal trainer during that time and started doing some training on the side and then also went back and got a post-bac in exercise science. Um, My first degree was a liberal arts degree. Uh, but I always knew I wanted to be a PT. And that brings me to now. Um, I'm back in Oregon after spending a month with Teddy at Healthy Baller, which was awesome. And here we are today. Great. And Teddy? Yeah, so (laughs) I have kind of a similar background to Taylor in that I took four years off between my undergrad and graduate degrees. Wow. And I spent that time... uh, I was lucky in that I wasn't a PTA, so I didn't have to witness like four years of external rotations with bands <laughs> and sit to stands. Um, but instead, I spent my time being a personal trainer, group exercise instructor, and strength and conditioning coach uh, at the high school level and a little bit in college, too. And so, you know, when I went back to physical therapy school, that kind of was like this basis for me to learn everything through or a lens rather for me to learn everything through. And so the whole time I thought to myself, how can we apply these concepts to strength and conditioning um, and vice versa and how can it all kind of blend? And so that's, that's really what's brought me to my practice and what I do now. Um, I work in a sports performance facility. I opened up a physical therapy or physiotherapy practice in, inside this facility uh, almost two years ago. It'll be two years ago in August. And You know, what we try to do is provide sports medicine-focused care to uh, athletes and active adults. 
Nice. That sounds, that sounds awesome. I mean, obviously we've seen your content on Instagram like crazy and it looks like an awesome environment to, uh, to work at. And that's kind of why we wanted to, we have you guys on. I think it's an interesting dynamic in, in a couple ways. The fact that like, obviously, um, Taylor, you were just, um, at Teddy's clinic as a student. And then the environment that, that you guys have there at healthy baller, I think is, is unique. Would you say that in terms of the way that you guys approach treatment at least from what we've seen as students over here in Canada like not a lot of um, physiotherapy clinics go about treating it that way Um, so I think it's an an interesting conversation we can have here so how did you guys kind of get hooked up like how does it work for you Taylor to like do a placement because you're not in school near near Teddy are you yeah so I'm actually from Maryland which was my bargaining chip with my uh, we call DCE the director of clinical education but um I had looked up places on Clinical Athlete that they have a directory of PTs and chiros and other rehab professionals who have a more um, evidence-based strength and conditioning bias. And Teddy and then one other clinic at the time were the only two listed in Maryland. And the other clinic was about half the distance from my parents as um, B-Baller. And I looked, I did all this before I even started PT school. I had a little spreadsheet going and stuff because I had talked to some uh, second and third years who told me that we were able to um, have input as to our rotations. Uh, and just over that year or so, I followed Teddy on Instagram. I actually found him on Clinical Athlete, not Instagram. And I followed the other clinic and clinician. And I liked his content a lot better. Um, so I requested a rotation with him instead of the other place. <laughs> there you go it's all about instagram it's all about the content you put on instagram but i will say i did not request my rotation through instagram i just pulled his contact off of uh (laughs) clinical athlete and i gave it to my dc and it took a little bit of convincing because he was like oh no like that first he's like you'll never get that blah blah blah. he was very negative i think he's having a bad day or something and then um (laughs) Uh, some third years were really encouraging and they're like, just follow up with him, like send him an email. And he was like, you'll never get that. You won't even get it your third year, but like, I wouldn't even ask for it for you until your third year. And they're like, no, just email him and be like, Dr. So-and-so, it was great to chat with you today. Here's what we talked about. And then you outline what you want, not what he said. And so I did that. And like two months later, I got an email from him and he forwarded Teddy's response. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. So like, if you were to give some advice to students kind of looking for a clinical placement, you know, like, what would be a couple things that you would say to them? Yeah, I think a lot of students come into PT school not knowing what they want to do, which is fine, in which case you probably want to get a good breadth of experience. But even within that, I think you want to make sure you get good experiences. So like, I don't want to end up in a sniff long term. But I asked around and the guy I'll have as a CI for my Smith this coming academic year has a really good reputation of being really engaging, really evidence-based. So I'm like, okay, that's somebody I can learn from. So even if you don't know what you want to specialize in, go ask people who are you know, a year or two ahead of you in your program, like, hey, for this rotation, who do you recommend? Who have you heard is really good? Um, or if there are places where you did observation hours, where you're like, oh, this is really intriguing. That's always an option. Um, and if you do know what you want to do, obviously you want to pursue that. If you're interested in the cash base, I think I'm really glad I did it at the beginning of my um, 
clinical placements, for us that means it's a shorter rotation simply because part of what makes cash base so awesome is that the patient volume is pretty low. But as a student, that also means you just get less overall reps. Um, and it also means you get more time to discuss things with your CI. So I think it's a really good fit for an early rotation um, if you can find that. I wouldn't want to do it as a third year because I wouldn't have like a full-time caseload, especially if I'm going to be working in a traditional setting right off the bat, which, you know, who knows. Right. So later on to get more reps kind of with patients, like mm -hmm. that's kind of what you're saying. Yeah. Okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, it's still like Taylor you know, your, um, your rotation request to your interests or like, try and find CIs who will be good mentors, but maybe in an environment where you can get more exposure. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Teddy, how long have you been uh, taking students on for? Has this, is, have you, is this something new or? Uh, yeah, it's, it's something new. Um, I've been in practice for three years and Taylor was actually my first student. Um, I have another student right now and he was he's the exact opposite it's actually his last rotation and he's graduating this fall so um you know i think what taylor said about the cash based thing is is true in in respect or with respect for the fact that you're just not going to get the same amount of reps i mean especially with the way that my cash base is set up these people are coming to see me and so i can't just pass them to a student it's just not it's just realistically the way business works you know um yeah. So that's that's like one of the challenges, um, but and at the same at the same respect, we you might get more like a deeper dive into any one patient and more conversation about that case and that sort of thing. So there's you know there's really two sides to to it, um, but I think it's a better rotation like at least for my rotation or for my clinical experience. I think it's better for somebody that's earlier in PT school but has a background in the field. Yeah, so they can kind of jump in and have input and like contribute, right. especially being that cash-based model where like you're saying, you can't just kind of pass it off to a student, especially if they right, don't have right. any experience. Yeah. Yeah, and like, you know, for me, uh, Taylor can attest to this, probably half of my patients, we ended up either like squatting, deadlifting, or like running or doing like, you know, very active things with. Um, you, you need to kind of know how to do that stuff and coach that stuff outside of your physical therapy school education, because as we all know, um, we aren't, you're not taught that in PT school. Right. So you're, it's almost like expected that you just go learn on your own, you know, not that there's not like a ton of, uh, job, like job paths where you have to know so much outside of school in order to really be successful. Um, physical therapy is one of them and so you know when you start talking about the cash PT and the more active population that you really need to supplement your knowledge outside of it right so what would be kind of like your what would you hope that a student would get out of a placement with you um, I would hope that a student would understand that I'm taking or I would hope that they would see a different approach to physical therapy I hope they, and, and by different, what I mean is a little more movement based and also uh, a huge, I put a huge emphasis on like how I speak to my patients mm -hmm. and the words that I use. And, you know, I think this stuff is kind of popular on the internet and um, 
within our own little echo chambers. But the reality is that in the field as a whole, it's not popular at all. Nobody's, you know, none of my CIs talk to me about like how we frame pain and how we like contextualize things. But I talk to Taylor about that stuff all the time. So, I mean, to, to give you a succinct answer, I would hope that a student would leave my clinic um, with an understanding that there's more to PT than maybe what they've seen in, in their other experiences and that um, the language and like your interactions and that sort of thing are honestly just as important sometimes as the exercises that you choose to do with your patients. Yeah, that's, yeah, I agree with you saying, um, cause just what I've gotten from following you on Instagram and, and seeing your content is, is it does show you a different side of what physical therapists can do. Um, and I think that's honestly something that's motivated me to, to go down that Avenue because I was, I've, I've been in the clinical setting, like the nine to five, like the, the typical mill clinic. And, and I just don't feel like that's something I want to do for my whole career. So honestly, when I saw that there's other options, like what you're doing maybe, and, and kind of like what Zach's doing at uh, PT wellness there in Boston, like there's a lot of different avenues we can go as, as physical therapists um, that isn't necessarily traditional. So it's cool to see that there's, you know, that there are CIs out there that are taking on students and showing them that route. Yeah. Yeah, and, and like what Zach's doing at Boston PT and Wellness, they have a more traditional clinic. They have brown carpets and brown tables and, lo and low ceilings, and they're on the second. I mean, I've been to that clinic. I've, I went there and hung out with Zach for a day. Um, yeah, they have, they're on the second floor of an office building. Like, it doesn't look like my clinic, but their approach is the exact same. Yeah, yeah. And you can add, and, and Taylor will tell you, I also see, I don't, yeah, they're not on Instagram, but I also see general population patients. And I see, and I get those people that come to me via word of mouth, um, typically, or they find me on the internet and they just, they're convinced that it's the place for them to go, even though they're not, they have no interest in the squat rack. Um, I think that I can also help those people more too, just because of the way that I'm framing things and, and, right. and the, the different approach. And so, you know, it doesn't have to be that you're some hardcore sports performance person and like uh, all that. It's just, I think it's just like really caring about the actual, like the entire experience for the patient. And that's, um, I'd love to see it taught more in school so that there didn't have to be this like small select group of people online that really cared about it. Mm -hmm. And I think you're, you kind of touched on it that that's something that that can be implemented into other clinics, even if they don't have the facility that you have. So I think yeah. that's kind of like, like Absolutely. towards the end, towards the end of my time there, we saw a kid um, who had come from a different, what more traditional PT clinic. And he's like, yeah, they told me they outgrew our, their space. His single lane balance was terrible. Mm -hmm. And Teddy said to me, he's like, you can do a lot with this kid in a very little bit of space. Like, he should be further along than this, not because he should have been squatting, you know, copious amounts of weight or anything like that, but just because they didn't even use what they did have. And maybe that was a, an issue of a knowledge gap, you know, of the clinician who was treating him or whatever. But yeah, like, there's a lot that can be done even in a small space with limited equipment. Mm -hmm. the, other, the other aspect for a kid like that, too, is if, he, if he's coming from an insurance practice where he's spending... 20 to 30 minutes at the most with his therapist and the rest of the time with the tech. Um, when you, you know, this kid is a three sport high school athlete um, coming off a knee surgery, like 
the tech's not going to be able to progress him into what he needs to do. Right. And so that's the other, that's the other challenge. Whereas like in, at Boston PT sports and wellness, they have a culture that they've created where the techs can help with that stuff because they've, they've learned that over time, you know, or in my scenario, I don't have techs because I see people for an hour. Um, that makes me cost prohibitive to some people, which I, I'd rather not be. I'd rather have everybody be able to afford to see me, but it's just the reality of it. So it just takes an entire clinic and culture to really, um, to try to serve this, these other populations. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, Taylor, I'm curious to hear, like, how, how did your classmates respond to, like, you going and doing a placement um, with Teddy and, and just that environment? Did you, did you have any questions from them <clears throat> about how it went? Yeah, so there are a couple guys that follow Teddy on Instagram, and they were really excited about that. Um, I had one girl ask me why I even bothered going to PT school since I was so interested in strength and conditioning. I should have just stuck to that. <laughs> My first boss, my first boss said that to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I had the two other girls in my class who were, one was a college athlete and the other one was an ATC in college and they were both pretty pumped and like we would chat on the phone pretty much every week or like text back and forth and um, they were both stuck. The one girl was in a pretty, dare I say, typical um, clinic where she did a lot of modalities and at one point she's like why are we doing joint mobs on every single patient yeah. <laughs> um and the other one was in a setting where she saw a very non-athletic population um but her pts were very tuned in to pain science and patient education so that was really neat just to kind of see some overlap even mm -hmm. if we we're seeing different demographics and then also see the contrast of you know, it didn't matter who the patient was they all got the same approach <laughs> <laughs> this is good though because uh, when I asked Teddy like what he was hoping to get out of his students one of the things that he was talking about was education and like from talking to you like before like that's one thing you you have some comments about that you know kind of <laughs> some things maybe you've learned about educating patients yeah I think one of the biggest takeaways for me um, was realizing that sometimes education is not saying anything and Teddy was telling me that one of his professors gave a lecture about therapeutic silence and that concept has really stood out to me because I think in PT school especially in a program like mine that's very progressive um, and talks a lot about patient education and pain science and cognitive functional therapy and all this stuff um, you know patients start saying ridiculous things and you're like oh like I get to inform them I get to correct them and it can be really exciting as a first year student to be like Oh, I'm gonna go change their life with education. Yeah. Like, if you come firing on all cylinders, a they're probably not gonna like take it all in. B they're probably not gonna come back to you. They'll think you're a jackass who doesn't know anything. Because <laughs> <laughs> they have five other people tell them X, Y, and Z. Um, so that was really helpful for me to just see that model and kind of be like, man, there's so much. Like, I'd be watching the eval and be thinking, oh, I want to say this, I want to say that, and Teddy wouldn't say anything. I'd be like. The first, like, two evals, I was like, what on earth? And then I very quickly realized that he would start to present his plan of care for them. And they would, you would see the wheels start turning in their head and then start connecting the dots. And that was a lot more powerful. And them drawing their own conclusions. You know, some people would be like, well, yeah, like, what about this when, you know, my PT had to put my sacrum back in? And, you know, he would just kind of, like, 
def not deflect it, but like answer it very casually. But that's a lot easier if the patient raises that question than you know the PT coming in. Oh no, your your sacrum wants out of place. Like, <laughs> never mind that pain that is very real that you feel. Like, <laughs> that's true. That's yeah. a good point. That's a really good point. Teddy, do you like what? What are some of the things that you try to do as an instructor? Um, to foster that like learning for, for your students in terms of educating? Because it, it's such a huge piece and, and I think it, it's something that we need to learn more of in school and, and we don't really get a whole lot of it. And even on clinical placement, from my experience, it's not focused on a whole lot. So I'm just curious to hear what are some strategies that you use to, to do that. In, term, in terms of patient education? Yeah, like how you kind of go, how you went about like teaching Taylor or, or kind of showing her how to, to do those, those type of things, because it can be difficult. Well, I mean, a big part of being a CI in that experience is that you're just, you're teaching through observation. I mean, you know, the, the student experience starts with just watching you kind of do your thing for a week or two, and then they start to pick up where you left off. Um, and, and what I do is like try to file away little things and sometimes I would like look over at Taylor and we'd like kind of recognize like, oh, we're going to talk about this later, you know, or we try to not <laughs> try to not laugh at our, try to not laugh at our patients. But um, for me, it's just it's all about like telling her what I'm thinking and why I made those decisions, and then and just filing away these experiences with the patients as okay, this is a teaching point for later, you know. And so like the education for me is such a big thing because no matter how much you talk about it in textbooks, there's, there's nothing that can prepare you for patient education. That's just a completely different animal. And I actually had my, I actually had an eval today that she told me that her T9 was slipping out and her Atlas, she, she went to a chiropractor and she said, my Atlas and my Axis are good this time, but my T9's out. Oh my God. I was like, well, I'm glad that your Atlas and your Axis are good this time. Um, you know, but last time those were the ones that were out. And so, and then she went to a, a a do that told her something different and and the way once she got through her like 10 minute spiel and i kind of let her talk um i said to her you know do you ever find that this information is confusing when you hear these different stories from different providers and she said yes and like that was all i needed you know i didn't need to tell her hey this person's wrong this person is a jackass they're making this stuff up none of this is substantiated through research and i just said and so I try to find like a way to relate to a patient and, you know, and then I try to show the students like that's your number one thing in order to get a patient on your side and like with you for the care, you just have to show them that like you can relate to them. And so oftentimes when you try to combat what they're saying with, with factual information, they don't take it, they take it as combative. And so, um, you know, those are like big teaching points for me as a CI and I also, I'm very conscious of the fact that I have a different kind of practice and clinic. And so I want to, I want to give students an experience that they can take beyond just healthy baller because, you know, Taylor saw a number of professional athletes. A lot of physical therapists go their whole careers without seeing a professional athlete. Excuse me. So I don't need that to be the focus of like this, you know, you need to know how to work with this six ten person with long femurs. Like I want more kind of generalized, uh, this is the way we communicate with people. This is the way we approach things. And that's, you know, that's really my focus. Yeah. That's, go ahead, I think one other thing that was super helpful is realizing, and I kind of already knew this going in, but it was neat to see it in action. 
like the fundamentals are the same for everybody. So yeah. we had one patient who was a high level lacrosse player and he had a hamstring strain and it kind of spiraled and we were doing different exercises with him and Teddy's like, well, if you want to target it a little bit more proximally, have him, you know, position him this way and change his course of angle, angle, et cetera. And then he's like, how do you feel and feel the difference in the muscle contraction? And then just kind of like talking about it while the kid was doing his set, like that perspective was not like, oh, this is some special way we think about athletes. It's, no, right. this is the way your femur is, and this is where your hamstring attaches to your femur, and this is how your femur is related to your pelvis, which is related to your trunk angle. Like, it's very, very foundational concepts mm -hmm. that I think in school are really easy to gloss over because they're not exciting, and they're not sexy, and they're not marketable. But if you nail that and use that to inform everything you do, it doesn't matter what setting you're in. Right. And then coupling what? that with those communication strategies and that educational type stuff. Well, one interesting thing, so the, the athlete that Taylor was talking about, he's also one of those people that he'll come in and you'll ask him how he feels and he goes, it's not getting better, you know? And so like you're from that point, that initial communication, you're almost like we would joke around, but like you're, you're pain sciencing him, you know, you're having that conversation of like showing him that it is getting better and making sure that like they're confident in like, because once somebody thinks something thinks it's not getting better, they're not doing their home exercise. They're almost not, they're not bought in anymore. You know, people right. are only bought in if they think that there's progress being made. And so like you have to, and then they start losing confidence. And especially with a young athlete that's never barely been pulled off the field. Um, you know, they're, I think that the communication with them is just as important as the person that's been noceboed by like three different chiropractors about how their bones are slipping all over the place. So, um, and that's, that's another kind of like general application that it's not, you know, you, you need to pay attention to your words with more than just chronic pain patients, like with everybody. And you never know how many patients you can prevent from getting into that chronic cycle by through your education as well. So. Yeah, I'm curious, um, Taylor, did, did your experience at, with, with Teddy, change the, the things that you post on social media or even like the way that you are structuring your posts and stuff like that um not a ton I think it was helpful uh oh thing um Jay, and I think back I, inside. Uh, <laughs> dang it <laughs> I was inspired <laughs> I know here I'm gonna turn off hang on we'll get there <laughs> okay am i here i mean can, you guys, can you guys hear me fine yeah, yeah you're good all right sweet i just turned off my wi-fi <laughs> um i want to i want to sit in the grass <laughs> um i was inspired by teddy no anyway i think being a healthy baller i got just a lot more footage than i had previously which was good to kind of kickstart me posting more frequently but i think i already structured my post fairly similarly not necessarily on purpose, but just because that's the way that made sense to me. Although I definitely stole the emoji usage from Teddy. <laughs> um, and I think other people are starting to pick up on that. I got tagged in something recently. <laughs> like, is this how you in strength coach therapy do it? Um, yeah, but beyond that, and I definitely started doing some split screen stuff more. Just because I realized like it does help with engagement. 
Um, and then just a couple, like a tip Teddy gave me, I guess somebody else had told him that using that feature where you can put multiple videos or multiple images in one post, mm. um, that definitely makes a big difference. I get way more engagement when I do that. So that's something I changed. Nice. Yeah. Teddy, I'm curious to hear, like, you're, you, did you ever expect your, the Instagram thing to get to where it's at? Oh, man. No, like, not at all. <laughs> not at all. It was like completely accidental. Yeah. I mean, I, I had a blog going for a couple years. And I've always been really into like self-education. But I literally didn't like try to get online and tell people how to do things until I was in this field for almost 10 years. Um, and then when I, when I started doing it, like it was honestly just for a networking tool because I wanted to get to know other people that had the same passion that I have. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to, I knew that there were like these groups of like people that were super passionate about this stuff and getting together at conferences. And like, I just wanted to kind of be a part of that. And, you know, because there's just not that many of us, like, I don't really know many people in this area. And the few people I do know in this area, including Wesley, who I, who I hired last October, the few people I know in this area that really care about this stuff, I met them through the internet. Like, mm -hmm. it's not like I met them because they were my coworkers, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, I've, so um, I started my whole thing just to network and connect with other people. And it was like right time, right place, um, offering some novel information, being really consistent with it. And next thing you know, it's like crazy followership. It's, it was really kind of insane. Yeah, that is, that, me and Will talk about that too. It's just crazy to think, like even just, uh, we use it the same way. Like the connection we've made through Instagram is, is crazy. Like the networking tool, it's just, yeah. it's just people, I don't think people realize how, how powerful it can be in connecting people across the, the profession. And I think if more people realize it, that, that you would probably see more people putting out content or even just using it as a tool to connect. I've met so many wonderful, like, hundreds of just like awesome people i've met people that i will probably know in some capacity like for the rest of my life through instagram i mean you know so it's it's crazy and uh that was the goal and it's not like you need three hundred thousand followers to do that no. all you just need no. is like to just kind of like the way i started was i just reached out to other people that i respected their content like mike reinald for example you know physical therapist in boston like i reached out to him and i was like hey man like I've been reading your stuff for years. Um, you know, I just wanted to say hi. And like, yeah. he didn't like follow, he didn't like follow me right away, but he was just like, Hey, I like your stuff. Like keep it up. And then yeah. like a few months later, he starts following me. And then like six months later, he reposts me and like, you know, but it's like, I just reached out to a lot of these different people and um, yeah, man, it's a connection. It's incredible. Yeah. And I've learned so much through it too. Yeah. The, the learning, the, the ability to learn off of it is actually, it's interesting. I don't think a lot of people see it as a learning tool, but like you can, you can see a post and then that can lead you down the hole of like a, a podcast. It can lead you to research that can lead you to like many different avenues of an area that you might not really know much about. <laughs> the other day I saw a repost on Tom Walters page, rehab science. And then it was a repost from somebody else. And then I went to their page and they had the article linked. And then I, you know, since you can't copy and paste, well, they didn't have it linked, but they just had the article typed. I went and typed in the article into PubMed and like next thing you know, I'm like reading an article that was from a freaking like somebody like reposted, you know, and it's like, yeah. yeah, you're, you're right, man. You go down these rabbit holes. And... 
better to go down an <laughs> educational rabbit hole than like some person you knew from high school. It's true. <laughs> Very true. So true. Sometimes I've even like, if you go on people that are like, you know, smarter than you and you just look at their comments and you, you see some people like debating over a topic and you're like, <laughs> like, I wonder, I wonder what people are saying about this. And you, it just like gives you some perspective, even if you're not like directly engaging in the debate or whatever, it's nice to kind of like get some new perspective or some ways that people think about things. I kind of think. Absolutely. That's, that's what Facebook's really good for. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know how people do it. I guess the time that I put in is for my own content, but I see people that like so regularly, like on like Jared Hall's page, for example, like people just be like debating on there. Yeah. And I'm just like, man, I don't have, to, I don't have time to jo- it, it. The one problem with that is like, it's kind of fruitless. Like once you debate with somebody, you come up with this really well typed out response and then it just disappears. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, yeah. whereas like, if you like, whereas if you like put that time into like a blog post or something, like even like a 500 word post, it can last a little more. It's mm-hmm. true. Yeah. Or even an actual Instagram post. Yeah. Right, right. Mm-hmm. The thing too is I just started listening to the You Are Not So Smart podcast. It was recommended oh, to me by that. Derek Miles. Um, yeah. And he suggested I start with the backfire effect episodes. I think it's So I'm on the first one. But basically it's the concept that whenever somebody has a really strongly held belief, even if you present factual evidence to the contrary of their belief, instead of that changing their mind, it actually will solidify their contrary oh, yeah. opinion. Um, so that's been really interesting and thought provoking, and I think is very applicable, not just to patient education, like we were talking earlier, but also internet comment wars. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. So it's about that time in the PT coffee cast where we ask our guests how they brew it. So we'll start off with Taylor. Taylor, we're curious to know how you brew your coffee. I am not too much of a coffee snob i usually buy the cheapest trader joe's brand stuff that they have and then i make it forever (laughs) nice that's okay because i actually don't know how to make coffee in a coffee maker like what okay (laughs) (laughs) and i i'm not a huge fan of keurig so i like my classmates laugh at me because i've got like the little plastic pour over thingy and i keep my coffee at school and my little filters Nice. And there's, we have a hot water faucet and I have my little pitcher thing, but I don't measure it. I just like eyeball it and go. Yeah, that's okay. That's and great. all the people who are baristas like have mini heart attacks. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're not claiming to be baristas. Yeah, here. True. no, <laughs> definitely not. No, <laughs> well, you know, like Portland has such a, a snooty coffee scene. So there's mm-hmm. multiple people have expressed horror that I do not weigh my ground <laughs> and my water just <laughs> or time it. <laughs> oh, look at Wilbur. <laughs> and as Teddy is looking deeply into his dog's eyes, <laughs> that's what I do. I come How do you home, brew your coffee, and we just stare at each other. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so I have two. I have the Keurig pour-over method, and then the real pour-over method. The Keurig pour-over method is, um, you know, those little like eco-brew cups that you put the fresh grounds in yourself. Yep. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so like morning before work when I'm just getting out of the house I I put the grounds in that little the little pod and then I just throw it through the Keurig um so it's like still fresh coffee like I don't use the little plastic like pre you know pre-filled things because those sit on the shelf forever 
but it's pretty good. I, I use Pete's coffee and then, um, and then on the weekends I'll do pour over myself too. Oh yeah. Um, I started pour, I started doing pour over camping actually. And mm-hmm. I got into it then, and then it's like it's delicious. There's nothing better really than like good. Saturday morning just doing a nice pour over cup. Oh yeah, man! It all in. Woo! Yeah. The best for that is the uh, we use the AeroPress. Nice. And you can take oh, yeah. that anywhere, and it's like indestructible. That's sick. Yeah. So I take it always. Like I actually took it literally all across Canada. I did like a whole Canada trip, and I my AeroPress survived the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> nice nice yeah <laughs> i did a i did a cross-country trip with my wife and um, it was actually where we got engaged we were boyfriend girlfriend at the time and we did uh we realized that one pour over wasn't enough when we were trying to kind of get the, <laughs> get things moving so i actually used like just a, a funnel that you would use to pour like oil into your car <laughs> <laughs> so i just have like a, a cheap plastic funnel and then a coffee filter and that's all you need man that's epic. That's the best story we've heard so far. <laughs> you guys are so resourceful. That's hilarious. <laughs> all right. All right. We'll move on. We just have a couple more questions. One of them is like um, just something obviously with the setting that you guys are in uh, or that you were in for placement and that you work in. Uh, we know you've kind of talked about how PT shouldn't be risk averse when it comes to prescribing exercise. So our question is, why is that something that you talk about? And why do you think it is that we're often kind of underloading and under challenging our patients? Because we're scared. (laughs) So what would you say to some people who might be a little bit scared of maybe loading their patients a little bit heavier? um, I think that the load creates confidence and you know, Zach Gabor jokes, jokes around about psychological reps, but I think that that's a, that's an important part of it. So I'll tell you, instead of giving you like my total explanation, I'll give you a little anecdote. So, um, Taylor and I had a patient who flies a lot for work. And the number one thing that he stated as his problem with his back pain was picking up his luggage. So on his second visit, when he was feeling better, what did he do? single arm farmers carries and deadlifts with a 10 pound kettlebell, you know? So like, it's not like it was heavy at all, but like we loaded him and he's a guy in his sixties and he didn't want to lift weights. He doesn't lift weights at all. But like, I felt like that was the number one priority for me was reintroducing, reintroducing load. And for that guy, I haven't heard back from him. So that's a good thing, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, that was that was pretty much all he needed and i'm not saying that the kettlebells fixed and we did a lot of other stuff too but reintroducing it that quickly and having that look on his face and he was like wait you want me to do that and i was like yeah and like you know we started with the kettlebell on a 12 inch box and so like it's not like it was like down from the ground even it was like a super simple thing but but he was surprised that i wanted to do that and he had gone to physical therapy for multiple treatment sessions before and he didn't do anything of the like and so for me, it's creating confidence in the psychological reps so that the patients know that they can go do something and so that they can go do something, you know? And so um, I'm not loading people, like I'm not making, I'm not turning uh, geriatric patients into power lifters, but I'm, you know, what's more functional than sitting and standing and picking up things from the ground and that's yeah. squatting and deadlifting. So that's my two cents on it. 
Taylor, do you have any comments on that? I know you're, we, you, we talked a little bit about that before on, on Instagram. Yeah. Um, I think Teddy pretty much covered it. I would say too, uh, something that's been really helpful in introducing like that concept with classmates, just in conversation is at the beginning of the year, our professors told us in an inpatient like care skills class, um, they made up this little acronym called AMAP ANAP, which means as much as possible, as normal as possible. And it was in regards to like trying to get the patient to help you with transfers and that sort of thing. But I found that's a really good reference point when we're talking about therapeutic exercise. That if somebody's mm-hmm. like, you and I'm like, oh, I'd want them to do this. And they're like, oh, and I'm like, hey, remember AMAP ANAP? And they're like, oh, and like just being able to take that concept from something that was about you know, transfers and inpatient and very not strength coachy to, you know, like, oh, I do want this person to squat right away or on visit to or whatever the case may be. There's a little bit more context of like the bigger picture. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. And I want to add one thing too, just from a physiological standpoint. Um, if you look at every single tendon based injury and the research behind it, they respond much better to load than they do to like stretching them. Most tendons, they don't want to be stretched under load. That's what causes the pain, whether it's a deep squat in your patellar tendon or your rotator cuff and reaching across your body. And so you need to load them in a shortened position. And that's, that's just straight research, man. That's just evidence-based physiological adaptation. And so yeah. um, when, you, when we start really like overemphasizing mobility and stretching, because that's kind of like the paradigm that a lot of our older patients are familiar with, like, oh, I just need to stretch more you know, that's a problem. And so um, the load, even for rotator cuffs and knees and all that stuff, it has a a analgesic and, uh, you know, healing effect. So that's a totally different kind of load than the squat deadlift. But I think both are extremely important. Yeah, I think that's the that becomes the problem is when um, it's the pain thing, right? Like, at least what I've seen is like, oh, if it's causing the pain, then we can't do that. We can't do something like that's causing the pain. I think that's that just not understanding that that the how pain works and that it doesn't necessarily mean you know that there's damage because they're experiencing some some pain or some sensitivity when you're loading them with with uh with those implements so i think right, that right. that's something that that i've seen anyway that that kind of deters maybe physical therapists from actually loading patients yeah and if it's causing pain like you're not going to like move up in weight and intensity and make it more challenging but you're like look if 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 this doesn't feel better as you continue to hold this, I mean, if it causes pain, back it off to isometrics, but still keep loading it. And if that's still causing pain, then maybe at that point you, you add in um, or you decrease the weight via, you know, some other mechanism, whether it's a TRX in their hands for their yeah. knees or, you know, whatever it is. But um, I think explain to them about the pain and you don't have to, this goes back to the conversation about like education. You don't have to give them the whole like physiological, like tissue damage and pain and like, you just have to tell them like, look, a little bit of pain is okay and that's normal, right. but I want it to improve over time. And if, if they understand that and they, they hear the words okay and normal, sometimes that can kind of dampen the alarm. Cool. Mm-hmm. I think that's huge. Like that idea of like, okay, this is going to improve over time. But something I've noticed is like a lot of the hesitancy comes from like situations like say someone has back pain when they bend over, they're like, oh, okay, well then we can't bend over when in actuality, like loading them at, in some way in that same kind of movement is going to be kind of how you're going to progressively load them. You know right. what I mean? Rather than just eliminating it totally, I've kind of noticed that like with some uh, physiotherapists. Yeah. 
habituation, adaptation, desensitization, whatever you want to kind of label yeah. it as. And now there's a there's certainly an expertise to that, and you don't want to just haphazardly load people. And there mm-hmm. are times where almost anything will flare them up, and that's what that's what you learn with experience. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, you don't want to just like say everybody needs load, but yeah, there's there's there, we could definitely could like swing the pendulum a little bit more towards towards loading, and it would still be safe in my opinion for most most people. Cool. So to, uh, to wrap it up, guys, we'd like to ask our guest uh, one final question. So we'll start off with Taylor. So Taylor, if you could offer one piece of advice to um, another physical therapy student out there or maybe someone that's looking to get into physical therapy school, what, what piece of advice would you offer them? Oh, that's a tough one. <laughs> um, one piece of advice. I think keep an open mind but also um, stay true to the foundational principles. And that is sort of, I think, where integrity is found, when you're humble and willing to learn, but you also aren't going to compromise um, on the stuff that really matters. Awesome. That's, that's, that's amazing. And Teddy, for you, if you could go back, you know, and offer yourself one piece of advice before you kind of got into, into the physiotherapy game, um, what, what would you offer yourself? Um, are you, is this in terms of like advice for somebody that is applying to PT school or like what, what I think, stage? Of- I think more just like, you're just about to start your career. Cause like we, we're just about to get out, get out there and get after it. Right. So, yeah, yeah. you know, trying to kind of get an idea of like a piece of advice that you would offer yourself. Like if you were looking back at, at that time, um, knowing what you know now. Yeah. I mean, I know this is kind of cliche, but I would say like, just don't stop learning. You know, um, I think that a lot of us on the, in the internet world are very outpatient orthopedic. We want to work with active people. Um, the reality is that you can get a lot of job, job satisfaction from working in a variety of different settings. And I would just kind of keep an open mind and continue to learn as much as possible. Um, I was thinking earlier, I want to say one thing kind of about like the clinical side of things too, because um, I was, I'm not gonna lie, I was anticipating more of a advice for like students in in the clinical. Yeah, go for it. And like one thing that I think is really important and like Taylor, what she said about um, the CI that she's going to have for her sniff uh, really struck a chord with me, you know, be selfish and take something from every single one of your CIs. Like it's not always about the setting that you're in. Sometimes it's about the way your CIs interact with patients, the way that they approach their daily jobs, the way that they can be lighthearted in times of emotional distress. Um, and just like the, the, the beauty of the CI student relationship, it's such an intimate few weeks um, or a few months, depending on the length. And like, it doesn't have to do all the time with the setting. Like some of your best teachers, it didn't matter what subject that they taught, whether it was in high school, middle school, college, undergrad, you know, your best teachers were good teachers because of the way they communicated and the way and the things you picked up from them. So like, that's what you want to do with your CIs and like learn from them in that respect. Um, and, you know, cause students sometimes get so caught up and like, Oh, I'm not in the setting that I want to work in. So whatever, you know, Taylor's approaching the sniff thing with a good attitude of like, and, and maybe some things I told her along the way, like I took a lot from my, my personal inpatient because I had a good CI, you know, uh, one of my outpatients was the worst possible clinical that I had because my CI was so close minded and I couldn't have a conversation with him. 
So like it's your, your clinical experience is a lot about your CI and not the setting that you're in and learn that way, you know? So. Yeah, that's awesome. That's an awesome point. I think me and Will both experienced that so far on our, our clinical placements, like taking a lot of really good points from settings that are not what we plan on going into. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Cool guys. So if you, uh, if you want to just leave your social media and let everyone know where they can find you, they aren't already following you, which they should be. So. Yeah. So, um, my Instagram handle is strength coach therapy. It's all one word strength coach therapy. And, um, you can find me on Twitter and Facebook with that as well. My Twitter is my name, Teddy Wilsey, uh, T E D D Y. And then W I L L S E Y. Holy I, started, I started. I started going down that route. I was like, I don't need to spell my name. <laughs> At least you know I how to spell. It. It's good. I screwed it up. I got awkward. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then my Instagram is my name Taylor Eckel. I will spell that one. E C K E L. You can't sound it out as well. Um, and that's probably the best way to get in touch with me. Awesome. Guys, we appreciate you guys taking the time to come come on and talk with us. I think I think it'll give uh, our followers a good perspective on you know uh, a student and a, and a CI and, and kind of what they can do to optimize their clinical placements coming up. So we really hey, appreciate thanks. it. Thanks so much for having us. This was fun. Yeah, cool. thanks guys. All right, we'll talk to you guys later. All right, bye guys. Yeah, bye. That wraps up episode 25 of the PT Coffee Cast with Teddy and Taylor. We'd like to thank them for coming on the show and talking with us. We thought it would be an interesting dynamic to have a student as well as a clinical instructor um, on our podcast to kind of talk about their experience together. And I think Teddy and Taylor did a great job of of sharing their experiences. Um, and I think there's, there's quite a bit of information that we can take away from this. Um, I know myself and Will took a lot away from it as students. And I think that if there's any clinical instructors out there that we're listening um, that they could take some valuable information away from Teddy um, and how he approaches teaching his students um, when he has them on placement. So if you guys aren't following Teddy and Taylor, I highly suggest you guys go do so. Um, They're putting out great content. We've been following um, them for quite some time now and continue to learn something from them every day. Um, So guys, head over, give them a follow. If you want to follow us, Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at the MVMTPTs. If you guys want to email us and get in contact with us, you can email us at themovementpts at gmail.com. And one last thing, guys, um, the Level Up initiative is something we've been part of for the last little bit, and we're excited um, to see that Zach has launched the Level Up initiative. Uh, So the website is live. His podcast is live. So head over to his website. We'll link that in the show notes. If you guys are a student um, and you want to be a mentee, you can apply for for being part of the first wave of the mentee program. Um, And if there's any mentors out there that are looking to give back to the students, you can also apply um, on the website, the levelupinitiative.com so guys head over there we're super pumped about that Uh, i know zach's been working really hard on it and for it to finally come out uh, for everyone to see um, it's really exciting so that's all we got for today guys thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time peace